the Fantasy Six-Pack Hour. With your hosts, Joe Bob. Ah, you're awful. <laughs> and A.J. Applegar. It's Sin Shu Sin Chew. It's a mouthful. All right, all right. Welcome to the Fantasy Six Pack Hour. My name is Joe Bond, founder of FantasySixPack.net. With me as usual, co-host AJ Ebergarth. How's it going, man? Great. It's going great. What's <laughs> happening? How are so, you? So enthusiastic. It's unusual hey, for you. I've been, you know, uh, relegated to Eeyore status. I feel like on certain shows. So I'm I mean, trying you, to you... pep things up here a bit. And sure, man. Uh, be excited be instead. That's fine. I, I love it. The show. We have a great <laughs> guest. I have a full growler of beer that will not be full by the time the show is over. Hopefully, and, empty. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> football. Okay, football. The ball. Sorry, baseball. <laughs> yeah. It may be America's pastime, but you're 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 past your prime. So uh, go go hang out with Larusa and his nonsense somewhere. Oh, man. Sorry, Jeff. Um, low blow, man. Low blow to the producer who can't say anything on the show. All right. <laughs> okay, first of all, you got oh, geez, there he goes. What did you just do? Do that. Um, <laughs> yes, he I, does. I, I don't know why you would even open that door. Uh, but congratulations uh, on on making the intro that. I kind of, I kind of want your it. fault. I kind of wanted him to. Yes. Anyway. Uh, yes, so as AJ alluded to, we are jumping into fantasy football, moving away from fantasy baseball. It won't be totally ignored. It's some big news to talk about, but you guys can still hit me up on Twitter for, for comments. There's still, you know, for questions. There's still a lot of content up on fantasy six pack for, for baseball. And, um, you know, it's the teams are kind of running themselves right now. There's a lot of injuries. Guess what, guys? That's not changing. So good luck. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. So, so when we started talking baseball, there were injuries. And yeah. now that we're done talking baseball, guess what? There's still injuries. There's more so. injuries. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, before we jump into things, just want to remind everybody, uh, hit that subscribe button, that like button, that, you know, leave a comment wherever you are, review. Uh, for everybody watching or listening, it is greatly appreciated. We uh, appreciate your support. And without further ado, let's bring in our guest of the hour, Mr. Chris Allen from 4 for 4, Number Fire, and NBC Sports Edge, and um, probably our favorite thing, Mr. Homebrewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ooh. welcome back to the, to the show, man. It's great to have you back. We always like to have you on, uh, and uh, we're going to be talking some best ball today with you, uh, as you are a best ball extraordinaire I don't know about all of that. I mean, mean, you know, I I like I like to write about it. I do have this uh, this this awful tendency of whenever I see a draft available, somebody's like tweeting like like you scroll through the your Twitter timeline and you see folks like underdog. I'm doing this three dollar you know draft, doing this five dollar draft, and it's (laughs) like uh, yeah, I got forty five minutes. Like all right, let's go ahead and let's not sure. Let's go ahead and do that. So yeah, uh, I just I like the strategy that's involved with it. Uh, I've been studying, well not studying. That makes me sound like some sort of book nerd. But like I've been just looking into the different ways you can go about making optimal decision 
lists when mm-hmm. it comes to building your rosters for the last like couple of seasons. That's what it's all about, though, man. Like, yep. that, that helps you tremendously in best ball for sure. Almost more than like redraft because, you know, with redrafts and stuff, you know, you can adjust during the season in best ball. You have to draft correctly. If not, you're screwed. So uh, but we're getting into that later. Let's do our favorite segment of the week and beer of the week. Mm, beer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, man. Mr. Homebrewer, what do you got on tap for us? I think I previewed this one, I think the last time I might have been on, but this is actually a recipe. Like a special? That, yeah, because um, I've been working on this recipe for the last like year-ish or so. All so right. this is um, a milkshake IPA. So it oh, has yes. the IPA with it, but also has the lactose added to it as well. Um, along with a combination of, let's say, like the tropical hops, like the mosaics, the citras, uh, any of those types. Um, I call it I Am Fruit, uh, the play on the MCU, like I Am Groot thing. Uh, yeah. But I do, <laughs> I do a lot of that, uh, like, because I, I really like this style, like with a lot of, I guess, hate that IPAs get, like being like, you know, the bitter beers, like so on and so forth. I like having, like making an IPA, but I like something that it's more palatable to me. And I do like that sweet finish that you get with adding the lactose to it. Also with like the hops that uh, the hop combination that I have, it keeps it like fairly flavorful as well. And then also I keep, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I can't do a, you know, 9%, you know, like like what AJ has, <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Like I, I I need something that's more I'm like forty, and I, I can't. So. I can't do <laughs> on, it bro. anymore. I'm thirty nine, and I'm still doing it. I probably shouldn't, but okay. I can't. I appreciate. Like, I appreciate it. Six percent. Like th- this is. I think this is. Uh, this is like five point six, five point seven percent. And I can just. I can kick it with this like all day without without yeah. an issue. Oh yeah, no. So I'm not doing this all day. This is yeah. like, like. See those like, like a I, few hours. I drink. I drink one, and then my wife will probably just like cut me off, and she'd be like, "You need to go to bed. Like you're done for the day. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's my, a wrap. You're not even mind just leave me alone. Just, just yeah, just, just go away. Yeah, um, just you're, yeah. you're you're actually annoying me. So if you could. Stop doing that. That'd be yeah, great. that 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 be that be my life if I drank <laughs> yeah. one of those. No, yeah, I I, I, uh, I I like the uh, I like dipping down into the the lower. I mean, I, I I feel like a bit of a beer snob because I'm always drinking doubles and uh, occasional triples and whatnot. Maybe I've just built my tolerance, unfortunately, up this high, <laughs> um, which is probably a bad thing for my liver. But hey, we're um, getting ready for the expo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm yeah. just planning. I'm pre-planning, so uh, I'm getting prepared for things. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely like trying to find something that's not crazy percentage every you know every week, and be like, okay, well, this is this is a little lower. Let me let me try this. This this seems like something that's just crushable, and I could pound like a six pack of these or something. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still just like, well, all right, that was a bad idea, but. <laughs> I like it. All right, what what you got, man? All right, so I am uh, drinking out of my Maryland flag flavored bog turtle. 
I brewery love special. Oh, absolutely. Um, shout out Maryland. Shout out Bog Turtle. Uh, this is their Papa Hoppa. It is a uh, 8.1% uh, double Imperial IPA. Um, it is absolutely delicious. Uh, I, I tried it the other night when I went up there to pick up dinner and um, decided I had to get a growler of it um, and probably will get another growler of it. I don't know, tomorrow. Uh, it, it, it's, it's awesome. It's really good. <laughs> got to get some for the weekend because you're going to drink the rest uh, of it tonight. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, I'm drinking one of the ones that that you dropped off with me on my birthday. Thankfully, ah, Stickman. Um, this is a this is a Stickman Brews double double deuce double IPA. Uh, I think this ended up being like a nine and a half percent. It doesn't actually say it yeah. on the can anywhere uh, randomly, but it is good, man. I gave it a no, four and a half. It's yeah. super smooth. Um, I'm a big fan of this one, so. I, I liked it a lot. I th- hope this hopefully will last me the full show. I hope I don't have to kick it in my other way because <laughs> nine and a half is pretty pretty heavy. <laughs> Stop pulling yourself. Yeah, it probably will, but yeah, yeah it's okay. I, I'll take the under. <laughs> All right, well let, let's jump into some football here. And before we get into the best ball strategy, we got to talk about this Julio Jones trade that, that just happened over the you know this last week. We you know we hadn't been able to talk about it yet. Um, you know, Julio obviously traded to Tennessee for picks and, and whatnot. Really, probably not enough in return, really, if you, if you think about it. But, you know, there's a lot to break down here. You know, what what does this do for, you know, the players on Atlanta? What does this do for the players in Tennessee? You know, this affects a lot of players. Um, Chris, your thoughts first on how this affects, you know, Ridley and, and Pitts and Matt Ryan and, and – company in atlanta uh i think for folks for calvin ridley specifically i mean a lot of folks were already evaluating him as like a wide receiver one or in like at least the top five top six range i mean if anything now with his projected volume he could really move into that deandre hopkins like level of usage right like where we're talking yeah. about a 27 28 29 target share within an offense that we know is going to be passing at like top three top four like neutral passing rates and even though the concerns i understand the concerns regarding like matt ryan in terms of his efficiency once you get into the red zone so like while the touchdowns like might not be there again from a total volume perspective i look i like i compare those situations like fairly similarly when it was deshaun watson and new hopkins and now it's going to be like matt ryan and calvin ridley and calvin ridley like the pass catcher like the the wide receiver one in that in that sense is really the one that benefits the most from it because like deshaun watson like for as good as he was especially in the seasons where he had nuke like he really got most of it done on like uh, if not through passing, but also with his legs as well. Mm-hmm. Matt Ryan doesn't have that. So we really do have to kind of take a step back from Matt Ryan and think of, I mean, what what value does he really offer as a primarily like statuesque like type quarterback? And if he loses one of his pass catchers, arguably one of the best pass catchers in the league, we can't view him as a top 12 quarterback as we had in, in seasons yeah. past. So I'm looking at Calvin Ridley, Wide receiver one, I mean, top three, top five, like somewhere in that range. Yep. Uh, Matt Ryan definitely takes a step back, move him out of the top 12 into one of those, like, I mean, he could definitely be one of your, like, high-end streamers. Like, if you want to go the late-round quarterback strategy after most of all of the rushing quarterbacks are taken, 
uh, and he definitely falls behind Ryan Tannehill, which we'll probably talk about here shortly. But like he falls out of that like top tier of quarterbacks that most folks be wanting to draft, uh, either whether it's best ball redraft or or whatever. But for Kyle Pitts, at least for me, I couldn't buy into Kyle Pitts at his ADP where like where it had been around like the tight end four, like tight end five, like mm-hmm. probably right after the big three. So Kelsey Kittle Waller. Um, and then like right after that, I saw most folks taking pits like right there. I couldn't buy into that with Julio Jones being in the offense. But now if we're thinking about a high volume passing rate offense, now Julio Jones is not going to be there. I mean, even if Kyle Pitts was there, with the draft capital that the Falcons used in order to draft him, we could already kind of pencil him in for at least a 16, 17% target share, which in an offense that's probably going to have 550 passing attempts, that's good volume. But now if we also take away Julio Jones, we're expecting even more volume and the competition uh, competition level for, like, for targets, it's really Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and then a bunch of other dudes. Russell Gage. It's <laughs> Russell mean, Gage. People it, are loving Russell Gage now, man. And he I'm profiles like, as a I, slot receiver. Fine. I, I, I get it. Um, the one thing that I do, I, I do have some concern with is the fact that <clears> Russell Gage does profile as a straight slot receiver, but Arthur Smith coming down from Tennessee, he was running two tight end sets at like yep, the second and third highest rate in the league. So if we're expecting two tight end sets, where does Russell Gates fit into that? You could wind up seeing like Frank Darby, Alameda Zacchaeus, any of these other guys, at least right. picking up some of those totally targets agree. to take some of the shine off of a guy like Russell Gage. I mean, heck, we could even see uh, Mike Davis catching some more passes out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. If you think that he still has, I mean, he could be most of what he was when he was in Carolina. So it's just, I'm still focused on like the core pieces of that offense. So Calvin Ridley Pitts. Now I'm more comfortable taking him at ADP Mike Davis, depending on where he falls at, but I mean, Matt Ryan, no, I'd I'd rather take any of the other quarterbacks that are going ahead of him or around him at this point. And then I might take a few splash shots on some of the other ancillary receivers. But I think at this point, Russell Gage, like the hype train is, is just so high. Oh yeah. I might be out on gauge at cost and I might pivot to some of the other guys that it could be Hayden Hurst. I mean, if they're running two tight end sets, Hayden Hurst could get some targets. And yeah. he, his ADP is super, super low. He's still. free. People are, I mean, he's totally free. free. He's not getting drafted in most leagues and in baseball yeah. leagues and things like that. He's like one of the last rounds. It's just he could like, get some targets. Just he just gets throw, some targets. Just throw a dart at him. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I, mean, I get it. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with, with the, at least I, I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I'm a little gun shy on, on, on Pitt still, but you know, you hear a lot about the fact that like people think they're going to, you know, use him as basically like a wide receiver too. I'm not sure I totally buy into that, but mm. you know, he's got the skill set to do. He's got the body to do it still. Like he is kind of more of a receiver when you look at him. So yeah, good to see it happen. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Ridley's is going to be a target hog. He's going to be Julio, you know, before him. And yeah, the touchdowns, you're right. May not be there. So, but Julio still was a wide receiver one for how many years without touchdowns? It's just, mm-hmm. especially in PPR leagues, like he's gold. Um, AJ, Tennessee he, side, what does this do? He's gold, but, you know, he's he's also, you know, gold without the G. He's old, you know. Uh, and, really? and this, no, 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 no. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Julio. Oh, I hadn't gotten the, there yet. You said from the Tennessee <laughs> side. Did you? Did you not? Just I was try to just about to ask. Tennessee? I was just about to ask you the question. You jumped in, so let me ask the question first. So Tennessee side, we're looking at 
obviously Julio, you know, what what's his value moving over? Um, is it better or worse than it was in Atlanta? How does this affect AJ Brown? How does this affect Tannehill? And then I think a lot of people still wonder how does this affect Henry? You know, nobody cares about the running game in Atlanta really. Mike Davis is kind of the guy. Um but Henry's obviously a stud. But they lost a lot of pieces in, in this offseason. And so some people were a little worried about him. Does Julio coming in actually help or hurt Henry? So, so again, take whichever Julio way you wanted gold, to start with that. But he's also <laughs> gold without the G, and he's old. Um, you know, there hasn't really been a lot of older receivers that have come in and, and put up his type of numbers that he's used to seeing. Um, at, at that age, you know, season, but he hasn't really ever had a running game in Atlanta. I mean, who who has he had there? Gurley's busted up knees last year. Great, cool. Uh, you know, it, it's he's never had that aspect. So the nice thing about this is I, they've had at least one or two guys, but yeah, the running game hasn't been phenomenal there. But it's they've had a one or two I mean, guys, and it's you totally want to go back to 1998 and Jamal Anderson, cool. But was Julio there then? No, no. So, Freeman was solid, like what that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Freeman he's had, won. Freeman had was, some good seasons. I, yeah. I will give you that. Um, but in general, overall, it's been more of a pass-heavy offense than a run-heavy offense. Mm-hmm. Now coming to Tennessee. He's got Tannehill, who's extremely efficient. Um, and I think that – I don't think he changes a whole lot. Um, maybe gets a slight uptick from me uh, uh, for, for Tannehill. But, I mean, Jones, I think, if anything, he's going to just take eyes away from A.J. Brown. You know, A.J. Brown could have been a, a top five receiver before this trade. And I don't know if he really moves out of that spot. Um, I, I think people are going to have to focus on Julio. And if they don't focus on Julio and they want to double team Brown, then Julio is going to burn you. And then they're going to be, oh, crap, we should we should pay attention to him. And then Brown's going to burn you. So I, I still think that there's going to be some games with Tannehill. I mean, he, he's not he doesn't throw a lot. So he's efficient with the throws he makes, mm-hmm. but his volume is not very high. Um, so I think overall that's going to affect Julio's, you know, numbers, uh, you know, reception wise. The yards I think could be hurt a little bit, but I'm I'm not too concerned with them. Uh, if anything, his touchdowns have to go up. Um, <laughs> you know. That's almost a not, given. That's not totally hard. He really I just mean... needs to get one, uh, maybe two, and, and he's at his career high. So yeah. it, it's amazing. Um, I, I love what this does for Henry, though, because he's just a stud regardless. And all eyes were always going to be on him. And then Brown came through and broke out. So it's like, well, crap. Now we got two guys we got to try to focus on i mean it's just going to be a nightmare for defensive yeah, coordinators I, mm-hmm. I think i think to me to quick sum this up is that i think this helps henry honestly i did have a little yeah. bit of worry about henry with with only aj brown and what ferks are there and maybe josh reynolds who cares all right a um, you love ferks stop it 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I did until now. Uh, he was my second tight end in a in a best ball that I drafted on RT Sports uh, not not too long ago. Uh, my first is Waller, so it's not a total loss. Like Waller is going to be there yeah, every week, still, but yeah. still. Uh, Ferkser was like, oh, I mean, he's like the only target else there, you know, besides AJ Brown, but no, well, whatever. Uh, anyway, back to Henry real quick. I think this helps him because I think it's going to take eyes off of him and they're going to have to defenses are going to have to play the pass, you know, even more than they did last year. Um, this is still going to be a run first offense. Uh, I mean, the only concern at this point with Henry is the the massive workload he's had two years in a row. So, you know, when's it going to catch up to him? But you yeah. know, I mean, until we it see does, it, honestly, like I, I'm not worried about it until it does. Yeah, and it, it will probably be this year because I'll probably draft him first round <laughs> and f everybody that drafts him. So I'm I'm sorry in advance, people. My you tell me if you got him in one league and I'm out. <laughs> I I already do. So Oh jeez. Okay. So, guys, be just get rid of him. Uh all don't, right. Don't draft him. Let's, let's jump into some best ball here. And uh I mean just quick first question here for you, Chris, is you know that there's a bunch of different sites that, that do this and we've already mentioned underdog, we've mentioned RT Sports, um, there's obviously uh fan tracks that does best ball. You know, what's mm-hmm. what's your preferred site here and you know if you have a couple like what's the differences between them that that you know of uh, so the two that i primarily play at uh, i typically play at uh, three like uh best ball tens fan ball best ball tens uh mm-hmm. ffpc and then now underdog i've kind of condensed uh most of my portfolio to underdog and ffpc and that's for a couple of different reasons like underdog because i absolutely love their app i mean not gonna lie just the convenience of being able to just yeah sit down oh shoot i'm on the clock look up swipe you know grab my you know and pick my player it's just it's very convenient i thought i mean they've knocked it out of the park because i know a lot of folks were even complaining to mfl when mfl was doing best balls like three four years ago everybody was asking for them to come out with a nice clean app for folks to access their rosters via the phone anything impossible (laughs) and they still don't have anything but then i mean underdog came in and they did the thing that we've been asking any platform to do i will say the only knock on underdog that i that i I say is um and i I love like the interface and everything Mm -hmm. the only knock i have is like you sign up for a random draft and if like you randomly aren't available real quick it's gonna auto draft your entire team for you and you're like well that sucks yeah (laughs) so that does suck you're like i'd rather have like a set time like okay i want to draft it 9 p.m like mm-hmm. I know when it's going to start, and I'm going to be available. Like, give me at least two hour heads up or something. Like, let me yeah. know. Like, I joined a baseball one this past year, and all of a sudden it was just like, "Your draft's going to start in two minutes." And I was like, "Oh, what?" Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I was available. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, but uh, of course, the the big thing with Underdog is that it's half point PPR. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the other most of the other platforms. I mean, even if you go to uh, like best ball tens, uh, drafters, uh, I mean, any of the other sites, like most of them are, uh, are full PPR. And then over at FFPC, while it is PPR, it's also tight end premium. So that's where you'll see a lot of the, 
uh, a lot of the tight ends, like going like the ADP for tight ends, is completely off of what you would see in a casual draft or pretty much anywhere else, like in the in the industry. So that's where you do have to pay uh, pay some a uh, bit more attention to positional value throughout the early parts of the draft because you can see a guy like Tyler Higby going around the same time folks are drafting like Cortland Sutton or you know somebody similar mm-hmm. to that in terms of ADP. So it's that's why I like doing both of those because it helps keep me in the right mindset of not just not just focusing on the scoring format but also looking at positional value and understanding opportunity cost because those are the two big things that drive that can at least help drive you to optimal decisions when you're deciding on whether or not you should take Tyler Lockett versus Mike Davis or you know whatever the case may be because if you try and adhere to just the, I guess, the optimal roster construction guidelines and also factoring opportunity costs, you can wind up taking down a league at least and get a decent ROI off of you know drafting quite a few teams doing it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of uh, team construction here, I mean, obviously it's really important in, in every league. You're not going to just go in and you know throw it in and, and not worry about it, but. I feel like it seems to be way more important in best ball because you don't have waivers a lot of the times. Um, You know, you you have your article on four for four about winning roster construction. Um, Can you dive into that a little bit for us and and explain some of the things that that you noticed and and different things that you've learned from from last season even and and doing this? Yeah. uh, So I would say that the like right off the bat, um, the like the win rates and the different roster constructions that uh, that we posted there. While it's focused on FFPC and that's the data that uh, that was collected for it. Um, shout out to Kevin at Four for Four for doing most of the data crunching for us. Uh, but while it's focused for FFPC, I think a lot of the guidelines that are there can be used across like multiple platforms. Like just something as simple as don't go off and draft like five quarterbacks. You really need to keep it into the, into the, like the two to three range. I mean, that's something you can apply to any site that you go to. If you're drafting running backs early, don't also be drafting running backs early and late and taking a lot of them. I mean, again, guidelines that you can use across different platforms. Wide receivers are likely going to, if you're, Uh, trying to acquire a bunch of them in the middle rounds, like let's say rounds like three through eight or like four through nine or 10 or somewhere in there where we're getting a lot of those wide receiver twos or guys with, uh, with a decent amount of upside. That's good, but you should also try and factor in some of the uh, elite wide receivers that we know are going to have higher target shares, like the Tyree kills, the Stefan Diggs, the Devontae Adams of the world that could also help boost your win rate as well. That's why at least I don't think uh, like strategies like the robust RB and things like that. I think folks go a bit overboard in that area because they do want to try and lock up a position as early as possible. But you do wind up sacrificing enough opportunity costs that let's say you go four or five rounds of nothing but running backs. And then your first wide receiver is, let's say, Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy or or somebody like that, where on paper that could look good. But now think about the rest of the wide receivers that you passed up in order to draft all of those running backs in the earlier rounds. So it's just trying to understand that, especially in the early rounds where we know that opportunity cost is the highest, because we do know that most of the players drafted their ADPs, they have the highest amount of like points per game, at least that's the expected output based off of their ADP. That's where we want to make the best decisions. And like in the first like six to seven rounds, 
that's where we can get like the core of our rosters. And then shortly after that, especially after we get past like the running back dead zone, we start drafting more quarterbacks. That's where we can start taking our shots. So to be optimal early, that's really one of the biggest guidelines that I've found, at least in terms of roster construction. So instead of going overboard on a single position, try and stay as balanced as possible, not trying and drafting, let's say even at FFPC, drafting three tight ends early because it's a tight end premium. No, 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 no. You should be really trying to focus on maybe grabbing one, two possibly, and then focusing on the running back and wide receiver positions as well. Because again, you want to be able to lock up at least a decent number of touches for the running back position early, elite wide receiver production early, and then being able to balance all that and then take your shots later on any of the other guys. So that's, that's typically how I go about looking at like putting together some of those articles, because again, it's all about following some of those optimal guidelines while still making at least the, the uh, at least accounting for ro- uh, not roster construction, but um, the opportunity costs associated with making any of those picks there. So um, interesting. You talked about, you know, not going too heavy into one position and uh, you know, opportunity costs. Do you find yourself and this is the question I didn't put on the sheet for you, but something I just thought about, do you find yourself going, earlier running back or earlier receiver when you have the choice it just depends on i mean i, I hate giving the cop-out answer of, it depends <laughs> yeah. uh but it really does depend on your draft uh, your draft slot right because if you think of like the very like the first round first like if you're in a 12 team best ball league first 12 picks I mean, first five of those are typically going to be running backs, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, Derrick Henry. It's going to be CMC. It's going to be Saquon. It's going to be Alvin Kamara. Well, right. Okay, I mean, let, let, let's guys. exclude the first round. We kind of know how the first round is going to roll with most drafts, right? It's yeah. going to be very running back heavy in the very front and then kind of a mixed bag at the back end. Yeah. Let's talk about the second round, right? So, mm-hmm. like, where you kind of get – I mean, you're, you're taking – because we see it every year with running backs. You know, these second, third round running backs, the people are just like – gobbling up because they need running backs or they think they need running backs right they don't pan out but those receivers do uh more often than not it feels like that right um is that where you're maybe grabbing say you had like one of those first five six picks and you grab one of those top running backs are you more looking to grab uh, a safer receiver at that point or are you looking to grab you know maybe another running back because that drop off is so heavy later that's again it depends on the on the running back uh, because the the thing that I looked at for the FFPC article, guys that wind up hitting in the early rounds, they need to really have not just a high volume in terms of running back carries, but they do need to be at least a decent part of their team's passing game. I mean, other than Derrick Henry, who like he needed that like Herculean like type of workload right. in order to get to where he was at. I mean, we really weren't able to harness a lot of the a lot of the fantasy production out of guys that really weren't catching passes there. That's why we're so that's why we gravitate towards Alvin Kamara. That's why we're gravitating towards Cam Akers, Aaron Jones, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So really you do have to wind up picking your spots on the guys that are available in the second and third round because that's what we need out of those guys. Like we can't just rely on volume because we can find similar volume almost like at least a round or two rounds later, or even if we want to wait towards the back end of the draft in order to find rushing production. So some of those guys, and I'm sure when I'm talking about it later, it's like, do I want to take uh, Antonio Gibson or do I want to take DeAndre Swift? Quite possibly. I mean, because we know that they're going to have at least most of their uh, most of the rushing production, but they're also a part of the passing game. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'd rather pass on a guy like J.K. Dobbins 
because we don't know what his passing game use is going to look like, <laughs> no despite idea. whatever the coaches what is going to tell us about. Be like, regardless. And, and, yeah. Yeah, with, mm-hmm. and also with Gus Edwards and so on and so forth. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, so that's where you do have to account for that specific player's situation. And in most cases, like if I'm, if like Swift, Gibson, uh, Chris Carson to some degree, if most of those guys mm-hmm. are already gone, then I will pivot to the wide receiver position because that's when Michael Thomas is going, Keenan Allen is going. I mean, any of those other wide receivers that Amari Cooper is going in like the third round in most cases, like I would much rather have those wide receivers going at a similar cost to the guys where we're not clear on what their projected touch is going to be, not just from a rushing standpoint, but also from a passing perspective, which we need to have in the early rounds. Yeah, no, I I get that. Um, It's just something that, you know, when you said what you said, I was like, hmm, I wonder. (laughs) So uh, I I totally get what you said, though. the the next question on the list here though that we had down is um so you talked about you know kind of general roster construction strategy but like how have you found your teams kind of laying out at, after everything is said and done like the majority of them uh the majority of my teams so let's see if i flip over to underdog so the 18 like 18 yep. round drafts uh typically it's uh two quarterbacks uh five running backs so what is that seven to eight wide receivers? And so that leaves me with what two tight ends, three tight ends. Am I doing the math right? Math in public, seven, eight. Yeah. I have not stuff. yet done an underdog underdog one. Uh, so I don't know even the roster spots yet, but I'm there. Thereabouts is that is about that. Uh, that's about where I've been drafting or like how I've been constructing my teams. Uh, but then inside those, like if you want to even like put each of those positions under the microscope, if I am taking five running backs, it's because I took two in like the first three rounds and then mm-hmm. after like rounds eight nine ten i wound up picking up two or three more there afterwards and then so for that let's say round four to round ten it is wide receivers it's maybe a tight end so like a yep. hawkinson mark andrews and it's one of the top end like rushing quarterbacks so like a jalen hurts like yep. a josh allen like a lamar any of those guys so that's where i typically try and fill out like my wide receiver and quarterback and like the onesie positions like somewhere in there and then i'll flip back to the running back position after round 10 yeah i did something very similar in in my rt sports one i I took two running backs early and then it was receiver and then i told you this i took waller at the three Mm -hmm. four turn yeah it's a ppr league too and i was like there no that's wild that he's there never should have fallen that far Hmm. um that's yeah obviously Kelsey went in the first round. Kittle went in like the early second round. And then Waller lasted the entire rest of the way. And I was like, uh, yeah, click. Yeah, yeah, so easy, easy call. So I waited <laughs> on tight end the rest of the way. But I ended up taking a quarterback because Dak fell to like the sixth, which I thought was kind of silly. That's so it let me wait on quarterback a little bit longer, too, because <laughs> I thought I had a top, you know, top three, four, five guy potentially. Um, but yeah, the rest of it was just kind of like mixed bag, of, and, and I took because I took two running backs super early. I didn't take my next two until like eight nine, but or yeah, like okay. maybe seven eight. But then I was mm-hmm. like, but I was like sold. I was like done until much later. Right. I just yeah, took, like a, I took a dart throw later and was like, what? Well, it didn't matter. 
Well, if you yeah. look at the wide receiver scoring, like at least based off of ADP, like if you compare like ADP on the X axis and then uh, like expected point totals on the Y axis, mm-hmm. I mean, wide receivers, they remain like the optimal decision throughout yeah. that like three to eight round, like somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I know like guys like Jack Miller over at ETR, they've written about like the running back dead zone. And I've seen something similar in my work over at FFPC because you see like the expected output for running backs, especially in like fourth, fifth, sixth round. I mean, it just completely drops off. Yeah. I mean, you're not really finding any impossible. of those. Yeah. You're not finding the guys that are getting both the rushing and the uh, and the targets in that area, unless you wind up hitting on a guy like David Montgomery, which required an injury in order to really propel mm-hmm. him into like the second and third round. But all the rest of like those wide receivers that are going there, I would much rather have. I mean, Tyler Lockett, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I mean, any of those other guys that are going like in that four to six range, I'm loading up on those guys all day long. I got so a feeling like round eight. It was crazy. Yeah, because you know you can <laughs> so wind up like, getting like good fine. wide receivers there. <laughs> And then the running backs that are going to be available in the ninth, 10th, 11th round. So like your Ronald Joneses, your Zach Mosses. I mean, any of those other guys that are going Damian Harris. I mean, even Michael Carter, if you want to dabble in that. I mean, most of those guys you can wind up falling back and waiting for later when you know you've already secured production at the wide receiver exactly. position by that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing, too, uh, I just wanted to follow up on it with the team construction. So it, it kind of dips in a little bit with, you know, we we've talked a little bit about quarterback injuries specifically and how it seems like every new year that comes up we just have more and more and more and more injuries to quarterbacks and it's really not necessarily more it's it's been pretty consistent over the handful of years you know recently um you know there there has been a a few upticks and and downticks but you know does that ever weigh in like injuries in general but for your quarterback you you said you only draft like two quarterbacks typically Mm -hmm. i mean do you ever if you miss on maybe one of your top five guys and then you find yourself getting a, a later guy who's in your your second third tier i mean would you change your draft strategy up and try to go you know quarterback receiver running back then quarterback again pretty close or do you not let that weigh in and and just not worry about the injury factor at all uh the injury factor not so much but if uh but in the case that you described of let's say if let's say if i'm gunning for like jalen hurts or one of those other like quarterbacks that's towards like the back end of like that top 12 so like uh, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, who's getting drafted in the top 12, even like Stafford. If I miss out on like all those guys, am I still taking two quarterbacks? If I wind up like my very first quarterback, is it say Trevor Lawrence or even like Matt Ryan, like we were talking about earlier? Uh, typically in those cases, I will wind up taking three quarterbacks um, just because if you're thinking about it from a week to week standpoint, what's the like in terms of like a distribution of points, like what is your how many peaks are they going to have like throughout the season? Whereas with the guys that we're typically drafting in the top 12, like those rushing guys, we know that like in terms of their, uh, the, their points distribution throughout the season, they're going to be in the QB one conversation, like almost every week. Doesn't matter what the, uh, what the defensive matchup is going to be. They can get there on their legs, but for the Matt Ryan's of the world, uh, the Baker Mayfield's of the world, even if you fall all the way back and take somebody like Jared Goff, Ben Roethlisberger or whatever, that like the uh, the probability of that happening is much lower. 
So then taking three does become a more viable option mm -hmm. at that point because you need those requisite points from the quarterback in order to at least propel your team to winning your particular league, whether it's a casual league or you're doing anything like the best ball mania tournament going on at underdog, any of that stuff. So yeah, I will adjust my strategy based off of the draft capital that I wind up spending at the position. It's almost like with running backs. Like mm -hmm. if you're going to take, uh, let's say, if you're going to do like that modified zero RB strategy that's going on right now, where you take like one like super early like Ezekiel Elliott and then don't draft another one until like round nine, that you're, you're, you're assuming zero injuries to Zeke, right? You're assuming he is that running back one and then all the rest of the dudes that you, all the rest of the running backs that you take afterwards, it's just a conglomerate of RB2s at that point. But you're assuming that that, uh, that running back that you anchored your team to at the very beginning stays healthy. So like I try not to look at things like from an injury perspective it's just more of, again, trying to understand uh, the opportunity cost, but then also marrying that with the roster construction. Like if I'm going to take, you know, one running back, I'll still probably still wind up with like five running backs there at the end because mm -hmm. I don't want to then imbalance my roster by saying, oh, yeah. I only took one running back. So now I got to take a whole bunch more and then I'm going to miss out on a bunch of wide receivers instead. Yep. All right. Any thoughts on that, Joe? Do you... Flow no, one I, way or I, the I, other. Or I, just... I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, and you know, I was actually because uh, I'm very novice with best ball. Um, I've done like maybe four drafts total <laughs> in the last couple of years. But um, I was chatting with the, you know, I was chatting with you, Chris, during my draft a couple of times. I was mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm yeah, kind yeah. of, in, I'm kind of stuck. Like, if yeah, I go yeah. here, I feel like I got to go here. If I go here, I feel like I got to go here the rest of the way. And you kind of agreed with what I said. But I was like, so which way's better? Is what I was asking you, <laughs> but I was also talking to a couple of the Best Buys, Davis and Preston, who who write for Fantasy Sick Back, and you know, we were kind of chatting the whole draft too, get their opinion on things, and um, you know, they were saying very very similar things as you you were, Chris, and uh, you know, to where like and like I said before, we went kind of early with with running backs, so we were able to to kind of wait a little bit, and you know, the, and then we we found some value where we didn't think there would be with running backs. Mm -hmm. We got Mostert and and Mike Davis, uh, like seven eight round or whatever it was, and oh, that wow. wasn't yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, supposed right. to be there, right? And so we yeah. were like, we we got four within eight rounds, and we were like, we're done, like mm -hmm. almost forever, and yeah. we got one more. Like we went in going, we probably should get six, right? We had five at the end, and because yeah. of how that that ended, again, we didn't go in expecting to get Waller. Mm -hmm. We got Waller at the end of the at the beginning of the fourth round. I had the turn pick, so it was one of those like things adjusted because of where the value fell. But um, and so you have to adjust, but you can go in with like a, a general roster construction idea, um, right? But obviously, th things have to adjust if you're going to find value like I was able to find. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there where you don't enter a draft with a structure already in place. I mean, you might have just like the general guidelines like we were talking about earlier, like two to three quarterbacks, maybe four to six running backs, seven to nine wide receivers, and maybe two to three tight ends. Like you just you want those ranges, right? But once you get into the drafts, if a Darren Waller happens to like fall, like fall to you in like the fourth round, it's not like you're going to sit there and say, 
oh, well, it's the running back dead zone, so I got to take wide receivers here, so I'm going to just, like, completely ignore this value that's presented to be, like, right in the face. It's like, no. Like, you you take the value that's presented to you, and then you just adjust your strategy, like, later on down the line. Like, say if a guy like Chris Carson were to fall into the fifth round, I'm taking Chris Carson in the fifth round. And yeah, then I'll just absolutely. figure out, I'm just figuring out my wide receivers. you got to figure out the rest later. later. You'll be, yeah. you'll be good. You, you adjust as you go along, and it becomes much easier to think about it in that sense versus saying that, I need to adhere to this strategy, so this is how I'm going to like build my roster. I mean, and- roster construction is just so different in best ball, mainly just because you have to have backups at every position. Like you can't go, mm-hmm. you can't come out of the draft. We saw some crazy teams that had one quarterback, and in RC oh, no. sports, <laughs> in, in RC sports, you have to have a defense and a kicker. We, we had teams that walked right. out. We, we had we had teams that walked out of my draft with one defense and one kicker. So thank you guys, thank appreciate you for your you. donations. Uh, so thank anyway, um, AJ, move on to the next tar- talking yeah. topic. All right. All right, so this next topic is uh, a little broad here because, you know, in looking through your different articles and stuff, you also dive a lot into the win rate for each specific position. Um, So explain this concept in general for the listeners and, you know, why to you it's important for best ball specifically um, to to understand win rate and and then how to use it to your advantage. So I use win rate to kind of pick out how winning teams have constructed their rosters and even how winning players, like what types of players have wound up on winning rosters. So that's how you can use like win rate to your advantage. So, and like win rate as we define it at 444 is like the percentage of that player or that build being used across all winning teams. Uh, I know that Rotoviz looks at it from a slightly different perspective because they look at all teams, like both winners and losers. So it just, Mm -hmm. it changes like based off of how you look at it. I like focusing on like the winning teams, not just uh, because if you find the players, it's like, oh, okay, well, Stefan Diggs like had a high win rate last season. I'm just going to go ahead and draft like uh, I'm going to draft <laughs> Stefan Diggs like next season. Like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. At least it might in like in Diggs case, it might absolutely like it might wind up like working that way. But the way that I've broken it down in my articles is that if you understand the the type of player that's winning, so if you're looking at not just win rate, but you marry win rate and the ADP that player was taking at, uh, that he was taken at, and then also the type of production or like the volume that they see, that's where you can start to work the problem backwards and say, this is the archetype of player that I should be looking for in this area of the draft. Like the name of the player should not be what you go into your draft saying that you're going to select. Like you shouldn't go into your draft saying that I'm going to select Stefan Diggs like no matter what. Like, no, the way that you should look at it is say that I'm drafting from, let's say, like the 10th slot in the draft. And I know that once I get to the back end of this draft, these types of players will be available to me. And this type of player that fits to a Stefan Diggs production profile, they're the ones that wind up hitting the most if I draft from this area. That's how you should look at like win rates, at least for players. For, uh, for roster construction, similar path. You can look at different roster constructions and the way that I had laid it out um, on uh, especially for FFPC is that you can look at a full roster construction. So for FFPC, since they use like 28 rounds, of course, like the roster is going to be much larger, but you can see, you can pick out like uh, certain trends, like within those builds, like almost every, uh, like the top of, if I'm not mistaken, like either the top eight or the top 10 roster constructions all drafted three quarterbacks and three tight ends. So that tells you that gives you that guideline of how many of each at the onesie mm-hmm. positions used to take. And then I even broke it down farther to look at 
where they're investing in the early rounds. So in the first six rounds, it's a balanced approach. Maybe one or two tight ends, two running backs, uh, two wide receivers, something along those lines, not really using the robust uh, approach where you're drafting like four running backs and then like two tight ends or something along those lines. Not to say it can't work, but again, if you're talking about or if you're thinking in terms of how teams can be built optimally, that's how you would like typically approach drafts. And that's how win rate can kind of, you can leverage that in order to help you figure out, again, what are those guidelines, like those guardrails for when you go to draft uh, players or when you try and build a, a particular roster in drafts. Okay. Good, good points and and everything there. Um, I, uh, Joe, any thoughts on, on that? Do you, do you, no, I mean, I, I think the thing that really stuck out to me is like you don't go into a draft going, I have to get X player, right? Yeah. You never, you should never do that no matter what league you're in, no matter what kind of draft you're in. It doesn't matter. Um, you have to look at it. It's almost Guilty. like, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, look, let's get like guys. one of the first three yeah, picks, exactly. right? You can go, oh, okay, I'm going to take Dalvin. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, That's like, easy. right. You know, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, All right. You know, when you're, when you're back end or, you know, Round four, you're going, oh, man, it's so-and-so players there. I'm absolutely taking him. Mm-hmm. But because it's you were so locked in on X player, <laughs> you missed on this guy that fell seven picks that shouldn't have. Uh, you've got to pay attention to that stuff. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I always say it, never use the league that you're – or the site that you're using. Never use their ADP. Never use their draft sheet. Use your own – because guys are going to fall to you, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And like you know, I haven't fully comprehended like the win rate thing and things like that. But like, I think it just kind of gives you a guideline, exactly what you were mm-hmm. saying, Chris. Of just kind of like, you know, these are the types of players that you can look at in X round that are gonna like. I, I love the tight end one where it was like um, uh, a bunch of guys that were like lower end lower round draft picks that were like within the top five or whatever. And you were just kind of like, mm-hmm. see, it didn't matter. Like they may not have been the best tight end, but they won their value. <laughs> yeah. And that's they really, outperformed their value phenomenally. And that's yeah. what it is. And that's what we do. Well, especially at that particular position where we wind up at least overestimating the value that each tight end <laughs> will bring. So it's like, we really need to focus on, and that's really how I'm approaching tight end this season. It's like, if I'm not getting one of those like top five guys, so it's like Kittle, it's Waller, it's Kelsey, it's Hawk, it's Andrews. And that's pretty much it. And like maybe Pitts. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll take six right there. So maybe Pitts. Hawk is sort of a, if he wanted to me too, but I get it. The value yeah. should be there for him. Yeah. Right. But it's like all the rest of the guys after that, like maybe minus Dallas Goddard, but like all, all of them have their own like bugaboos attached to their situation. Like if it's, it's Higby, it's Thomas, it's Gusecki, it's Fant. I mean, there's all those guys that are still getting drafted in like the first like 10 rounds of each draft, Mm -hmm. but it's like, we're really like, we're hoping that they hit their projections. Like we're not certain that any of those guys are, but for the top five, we're good with them. Like we can see past to them, like meeting their projections, but the rest of them, it's like, look at those projections and be like, yep, I'm going to draft Noah Fant. He's a value. Or I'm going to take, like, I'm all in on Tyler Higby this season. Like, he's definitely a value. But it's really based off of narrative and, like, the single-point projections that we have here in June versus really taking a look at the production. And also, on top of that, not really factoring in, going, again, back to the opportunity costs associated with each of those guys, where the wide receivers that are going around them can typically, like, will most likely outscore them anyway. 
So it's like yeah. it's hard to balance like both of those things as we're navigating through drafts. I will say that's the hardest thing I've had to do, and we'll move on to the next target after this, but or the next topic after this. But that's the hardest thing I've had to do with tight ends is adjust to the fact that they're the higher end guys, their their uh, their value draft position is so much more than like the receiver I could have gotten there, even though they're going to get outscored by fifty points. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's kind of like I can find another receiver. Three rounds later, it's going to be so close, but the next tight end is a hundred points lower. So right. I've I've adjusted to that this year. I feel like um, at least I'm trying to, <laughs> uh, and I did in the in the, in the RT Sports. I I even 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 though Waller fell to me, I still was like, I mean, I second guessed it for a second. I was like, well, what does everybody else know that I don't? And then I was right. like, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 God, mm-hmm. click. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and and I do it all the time. I just don't draft the tight ends early. Because I think like the position doesn't matter, but these top end guys are so good. It's so much better than the rest of them. Um, mm-hmm. You might hit, you know. Last year I swore we were all going to hit on Hayden Hurst. <laughs> nope. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, thanks. so I waited on Hayden Hurst like like crazy, and uh, you know it's worked in some years, and last year it didn't. So I, I think I'm going to adjust. Unfortunately, uh, well, hopefully, yeah, but, fortunately, I guess. Yeah, but nobody so. nobody thought that they were going to hit on. Logan Thomas. I mean, nobody drafted Logan Thomas. He was free until yeah. a couple weeks into the season. It's like, uh, all right, let's pay attention. Yeah, to Logan Thomas is actually good, guys. He had a <laughs> phenomenal season. Um, yeah, Jeff, Jeff likes this. Go Hokies. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Right. <laughs> all right, moving on here. Uh, I want to get to uh, the last kind of more strategy question here is uh, how do you value like safe floor players versus guys that are boom bust? I think when it comes to looking at the safe floor players, I'm more looking at just to me, it depends on where you're at in the draft, the safe floor players, the guys that we know are getting like projected volume. Like those are the guys that I consider to be safe floor. Like, I I mean, if you want to consider guys like the, like the slot receivers that are typically going in like rounds five through eight also have safe, a safe floor. So like the archetype of, let's say like a Jarvis Landry, somewhere in those ranges, Mm -hmm. a Tyler Lockett that we know at least is going to see like a decent amount number of targets, like week in and week out. Most of those guys, they are guys that I'm going to wind up taking, but I also look for the ceiling at the same time. It's to me, it's not one or the other. It's really like, can I, if I can get the floor, will I also get the ceiling as well. So that's where a guy like Jarvis Landry, like he might wind up getting dinged a bit because we don't really see the ceiling with Jarvis. We mm-hmm. do nece- we do typically see the floor, whereas guys that are going around Jarvis Landry, if I'm remembering correctly, at least uh, over at Underdog, I mean, Marquise Brown is going around the same time as Jarvis Landry is, and those are completely different players, right? Yeah. I mean, we see the safe floor with Jarvis, but we see the the boom potential with with Marquise Brown. So it's try, but that's where also you need to take a look at the uh, your entire roster and see like, well, what really works for my team at this point? Agreed. Like, if uh, uh, like, yeah. do you have do you really have the not necessarily the luxury, but is your team made up of guys that where you can afford to take a safe floor guy, or can you also take on the risk of let's say like a Mike Williams later? And that's where it goes back <laughs> the to two guys I was going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it, well, it goes back to the decisions that you made early in the draft. Like, did you wind up going the robust RB route to the point where you passed up on the Tyreek Hills, the Stefan Diggs, the AJ Browns, and then your draft started off with, let's say, like Deontay Johnson? Like, that was like he was your very mm-hmm. first wide receiver. That's where you might want to pivot in terms of uh, thinking about like the type of receiver you would want as your wide receiver two versus your wide receiver three. Versus for me, 
I'm aiming for ceiling at that point, like once Marquise Brown comes around, because I have most of those guys already. Like I have the guys that project for the floor that have the floor and ceiling combo. And then if I want to, I can I can inject my roster with some of that risk with some of those guys that are going on in the later rounds, because at that point, it doesn't matter. I'm just it's uh, for me, it's like icing on the cake at that point. I know I have projected targets. I know I have projected uh, high value touches. So give me the guys that are also going to be able to really like make my roster pop at that point versus some of the other guys that's like, I don't really care about, let's say, even if like the contract issues were going on with Jameson Crowder, it's like. I don't really. I, do I want that guy, or my? Do I want to swing for the fences with, uh, let's say, Dwayne Eskridge? Or, yeah. Do you uh, want six for fifty, or do you want you know every week if you're yeah. going to even get that, or do you want you know a bunch of dud weeks and then whatever? And, and yeah, you brought up Mike Williams in a perfect. I was going to ask you about him, like. You know, I took him at the very end of my draft, and I got a bunch of you know, yeah. solid, good receivers. You know, I got Jefferson, I got Thielen, I got Lamb. I had I forget who else, but there was a bunch of good, really solid receivers that I can rely on. I felt like, and then at the very end, I was like, Mike, why is Mike Williams still sitting here? And mm-hmm. I get it; he's got like four good weeks in him. <laughs> Fine, that might be so all you I, need, though. That's all I need. Exactly, from him that's at this really point. all you need. I mean, there's something to be said about taking guys that can churn out like usable weeks and especially in a like let's say in a tournament setting that might be what you need where most folks might be swinging for the fences really you just want to be able to accumulate points on a week-to-week basis and that's where some of those floor guys might be able to get you there so but the other guys like there might be guys towards the back end of the draft like i've seen folks like draft like tutu atwell um like Kadarius tony i've seen like going towards the back end of drafts i mean Deshaun Jackson's being drafted like fairly decent bit with the hype around the LA Rams. But it's like those guys that really like you really have to squint to see them giving you more than like one to two usable weeks. Whereas some of those other floor guys, like even Elijah Moore, who I know his ADP is probably like on a rocket ship at this point. Yeah. It's like we just want guys that are going to be able to give us eight to 12 points on a weekly basis, which most of those guys that I've mentioned can. Mike Williams' bad weeks are still like six points. So yep. yeah. I'm still Usable. fine with that. So yeah, yeah, it's just one of those like, and the reason why I asked this question was you see guys who just overvalue boom players, I feel like, in, in best ball. They're like, oh, I just need like three or four of these guys to hit every week. So I'm just going to go after all like the big guys that are just going to blow up, you know, Aside from like maybe the first five rounds, they're just going to go with the typical guys. But after that, it's like it's all the Deshaun's and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You see those rosters year in and year out in best ball, and you're kind of like, have fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to work, man. Yeah. So speaking of Deshaun, though, I mean, it, it's a perfect segue again because my follow up to this is really, you know, he he's a guy who obviously has some injury issues too. Mm-hmm. So he he's kind of a, a bit. A bit of an anomaly with this question. But, risky. <laughs> well, yeah. Anomaly equals risky, we'll say. Uh, but, you know, he's getting a lot of hype again because of this boom potential that he has. Um, but, I mean, are you, uh, how do you value guys that may have been a, a safer floor for you, but then they change teams? Are you just, writing them off completely uh, you know obviously it would depend on who it is but uh, you know like a julio versus a deshaun that, that's that's an easy one but mm-hmm. you know some of these mid-tier guys that 
you you were used to their safe floors and and they did have some good ceiling potential um whether it was consistent or or very you know boom bust but mm-hmm. i mean are are you finding yourself just reeling back on some of these guys uh in some cases yes and i've been doing enough drafts that i've figured out like where some of my blinders are at not necessarily for the wide receivers changing teams but their team situation changing and like one of the examples that that comes to mind are the the colts guys so like all of those pass catchers that are associated mm-hmm, with that yeah. like whether it's like hilton Pittman, campbell coming back i mean I was good with them last season, but now we don't know what to expect out of Carson Wentz. Like, which version of Wentz are we going to get? Are we going to get the 2020, like, just complete implosion version of him? Or are we going to get the, like, the, was it the 2017, 2018, like, when he was on, like, the Super Bowl run and all that stuff? I mean, when he was actually, like, a decent quarterback, which, since he's attached to Frank Reich, who is within Philadelphia, I can see that path. Mm -hmm. But, again trying to look at the other like the company that those wide receivers keep in terms of ADP I would much rather take the floor or at least some sort of at least a better outlook or a team outlook for some of the guys going around each of them that it's just I I figured out that's where one of my blinders are, are at because I agree with you AJ I would much rather take the security for some of the targets and the offensive yeah. situation with the guys going around them than trying to figure out all right, so even in this three wide receiver set of Hilton, Pittman, and Campbell, I mean, who's going to get those targets? And what quality of targets are they going to be considering Carson Wentz is going to be their their quarterback? That's where, I mean, especially for in Pittman's case, I know as of right now, Michael Pittman's going as like the wide receiver 48 on underdog and around him, like Mike Williams is going like right, like right before him. And guys like Miko Hardman, Devontae Parker are going like right after him. And I would much rather, I mean, at that point, if you're comparing those situations, I would definitely rather have Mike Williams. And then do I want Miko Hardman, who's attached to Patrick Mahomes? I can talk myself into that. Do I want Devontae Parker, who we think is going to at least have at least least a better connection with Tua now in his second year? I can talk myself into that as well. Like he's where got I, some new company too. He's so, got some yeah. new company. So, I mean, but we'll he see. He may not it's even like, be there still. Right. So uh, he'll be there, but so so that's where maybe. I mean, so that's where I try to at least that's where I would make ties in favor of the security of that offensive situation versus yeah. trying to figure out whether or not like what that team situation is going to look like. But again, that goes back. But I'm not doing it by. Uh, but I'm not doing it and sacrificing opportunity cost. It's really just about looking around at similar ADPs and making that, uh, making that determination that way. Okay, good. All right. So you've mentioned a few rookies here and, um, you know, how, how do you go about valuing rookies for best ball drafts? You know, aside from like the Najee Harris, right. Who's obviously in a pretty good spot here, but you know, some of these receivers that are high end, but you know, hit or miss. Other running backs, kind of hit or miss. Like, how do you typically value rookies for best ball? I don't. No, I'm just okay. kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I kind of did. I kind of terribly. No, they're all they're all bad. Stay away from them. Just let me draft them. Uh, yeah. With running backs, I think the signal is is like it's fairly linear when it comes to running backs. If you have high draft capital, you get the right situation. 
then I'm, I mean, they're typically wind up going in that like third, fourth round and their ADP kind of ascends like throughout the off season. I mean, we saw this coming with Jonathan Taylor last year, uh, JK Dobbins to, uh, to an extent as well. But when he got, uh, when he got sent to Baltimore, it was kind of like, we don't know what's going to happen with Mark mm-hmm. Ingram still being a part of that offense. Uh, but this season, I mean, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. I mean, regardless of what we think about Urban Meyer, like attached uh, uh, Urban Meyer down in Jacksonville, Etienne and Najee Harris, both with their draft capital, they project to have decent volume. Harris more so, obviously, because yeah. he's replacing pretty much everything that Connor left behind. <laughs> also takes along uh, takes up some passing game work as well. I, that's but that's the type of profile that's the archetype of running back that you would want in the early rounds anyway with wide receivers it's a bit different i mean draft capital does help us but we do know that it's a at least a position that requires some time with the quarterback to establish a rapport and so i typically don't try and get too much uh i don't try and spend too high draft capital on on rookie wide receivers jamar chase is like really pushing like the edge on that and that's one that's a personal bias because that they he is a part of the Bengals, and that's you can see the Cincinnati hat like hanging behind me. So I do have a blinder in terms of taking him there. But oh, I quarterback receiver combo is already yeah, there. Yeah, I know in the LSU connection. Uh, yeah. I mean, hey just, man, I've, yeah. you know, I've 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 Tiger Tigers. I've, I've, <laughs> I've rationalized that pick since it was made on draft night, and I get it. But like for the rest of the but the rest of the rookie ride receivers, it's. Again, looking at ADP, like the guys that are going around some of the uh, some of the rookies that are currently being drafted, I would rather take the veterans that are going that are going at the same cost. I mean, minus Elijah Moore, right? I think Elijah Moore is the one that I think, uh, from a athletic profile standpoint, draft capital standpoint, like team situation standpoint, he's the one I think that makes the most sense in my mind as the one that will probably provide the most value in year one. But it's like. Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman. I mean, I've seen Dwayne Eskridge getting drafted. I've, we mentioned Tutu Atwar earlier. I mean, so many mm-hmm. of those other rookies that are getting drafted, but it's like, where's the projectable targets? Like, where do we really see that value coming for them uh, in their rookie season? And that's where I would much rather pivot to the veterans that are being taken at cost because we do know what their role is. We do know that they can churn out those usable weeks on a year-to-year basis. And so unless the rookie is coming at a like a much discounted price. So like Elijah Moore, like his ADP is palatable to me, mm-hmm. like palatable to me. I would much rather take like those guys versus betting on like Jamar Chase or like anybody else, even though despite the fact of like my Bengals fandom and whatnot. No, I, I totally get it. I, I usually shy away from rookies, uh, especially receivers. Last year burned me bad because they were all phenomenal R- randomly, I felt like. But, uh, yeah, the, the running backs seem to be in a much better spot to be able to just go in, although I am a little gun-shy on ETN. Um, I'm just not sure how that's going to work. And Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Talking about putting him a receiver only, like, what are you yeah, talking that, about, Urban Meyer? Like, you're out of your that. mind. And I've never liked Urban Meyer anyway, so I, but that that's That's an Urban Meyer, urban From Ohio, legend. I can, I'm with I, I you. Mean, don't mean, like that, that's what yeah. it is. I, I mean, and I'm a huge Gators fan and have been since the Spurrier days until he freaking screwed himself and went to Washington. That was retarded. Uh-huh. Sorry, I don't like the Washington, that word. The Washington the word is a horrible word. Yeah, the Was- it really was. I, I, mean, I nicknamed one of my fantasy team the Washington Gators one year. Wow, okay. Yeah, because I mean, it, it was, it really uh, that's, was. That's really what he, happened. He, he Werfel and you name it. They all came in. <laughs> The the old ball coach coming that's how, in. That's and how long I've been doing this. Nope, mm. not happening. 
uh, different league, different standards and everything. And, uh, and he found that out, but, um, Oh yeah. Pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. I I think overall it's just, you know, rookies are. So it's hard to buy into pits even, man. Like I still like, it's a rookie. I mean, it it is hard to buy into it. Although, you know, it's just, you, you look at it, you, you think that they're going to have, you know, some, some hype and everything. And, and there, there is true talents, but even for me, Najee Harris, he's awesome. I mean, I, he is phenomenal talent and Pittsburgh is a team that just seems to always have 15 running backs that wow. can go out and try to do something and none of them pan out. I, I, now I don't think that that's the case with Harris. I think he is special enough talent yeah. that he will buck that trend. Um, I mean, hell, Connor came out of absolutely nowhere uh, when Bell decided to hold out. So I, I like his upside way more, and, and he's someone I'd be comfortable taking. But you, you mentioned ETN. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I want to even think about that. And then, I mean, receiver – these past two years have been so deep with rookie receivers coming out and somehow the Eagles have managed to take the worst possible one out of the bunch. Might have been the coaching staff and not being able to coach. Yes, that's that's highly likely. Um, uh, or the GM who sucks goats. Um, I don't think and, Rieger's bad. I think that, that no, I think Rieger's good. Year. But the the thing that annoyed me the most was that Rager, all they were doing was showing Justin Jefferson clips when the Eagles were on the clock, and then they're like Jalen Rieger. I'm like, wrong purple. What are you What are you doing? What are, what, <laughs> what the hell is this? Should have been Justin no, Jefferson. Did, that one did it, surprise it me. Been. They absolutely should have taken Jefferson, and but, yeah. you saw that. But yeah. So speaking of rookies and not wanting to go after them. The next obvious question here is what other players are you fading right now? So from the running back position, I think I mentioned him earlier. Uh, it's, it's JK Dobbins for me is the guy that I'm fading the most at ADP. I never got his like third round price tag. The moment that the best ball lobbies opened. Cause like, I, I don't know if y'all, I'm a degenerate. I was doing best balls like, like almost immediately after the Super Bowl because I couldn't help myself. Uh, and like, I saw like JK Dobbins going off the board. I was like, what are we, what are we doing guys? Yeah. Like, what? It doesn't make any sense That's to me. That's hilarious that you say that, by the way. I literally just saw a tweet. Somebody said, first player you think of when you see, I like him better in best ball. One of the first answers, J.K. Dobbins. I, uh, I'm 100% with you. I just, <laughs> I'm laughing at it. I don't even like him in best. I don't understand like why I, you would like him in best ball because the guys that you're taking him over, I mean, he's still. No. He, you're talking about still, that safe floor with these other guys. And at that area of the draft, I get it, man. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, if you, I, I get the fact that from a usage standpoint, like over the, I think the last like six games of the season, he led the entire back, like in backfield, including Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, red zone touches, scored a touchdown in like four straight games. I mean, but you're, but that was, I mean, that was the back end of last season. And now folks are trying to extrapolate both that usage and that efficiency over a now a 17 game sample and now winding up with him being in the in the third round 
I can't do that math. I can't no. do that mental gymnastics to save my life. The, yeah, the, the split the split workload there is just too much for me. I, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you. I mean, no, not, Mark, not after what, what everybody's doing is they're going, oh, Mark Ingram had a phenomenal season two years ago. Yeah. Do you realize the touchdown efficiency that guy had? <laughs> it's out of this world good. Um, so I, I'm 100% with you. Yeah, and I don't I don't see how even if their coaching staff is talking up having him being like a more involved in the passing game, okay, that's great. So what his two point five like three percent like target share kicks up to like four percent? And yeah, and four percent in the least worst passing offense in the league. Right. I mean, they've yeah, been like <laughs> they've been dead last in terms of red zone passing like two straight years. Dang. They've led the uh, no, they haven't been they haven't led the league. Uh, they've been top three in terms of like total rushing touchdowns across the league for the past two seasons. I mean, this is a rushing offense. So regardless of if even if he does get like a few extra targets, I mean, this is not a guy. This is not an archetype that we would want to target like this early in the draft. And especially after they went out and they gave Gus Edwards a second round tender. On top of that, they come back and give him what the ten million, like the two-year ten million dollar extension. On top of that, that's Kenyon Drake money. Like by the way, so it's mm. like I, they can't give yeah. us any more signals that this is not Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, go like, ahead and you, weigh those. Like, but you can't give any more signals to like to the rest, like the public, like watching this team and say that J.K. Dobbins is going to be the same type, get the same type of workload as the guys that he's currently being drafted around. It just ain't going to happen. There's yeah. no way. I, I, I mean, I totally this is agree. a a run first offense and a pump fake second offense. There's no throwing the ball, it, and it's just split up way too much for every you know series every rushing attempt i feel like and lamar's just gonna you know tuck and run when he can and and, i mean he's been successful at it and there's i'm all all for the receivers honestly but yeah i just i i'm i'm off the baltimore running back train right now it's just it's more of a train wreck in my opinion because you don't know what you're gonna get and I mean, even for best ball, talk about boomer bust and and floor. You have no idea what that floor is. Um, no. Other other than very low. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would be moving off that as well. Yeah, I mean, any other, any other fades you got? Uh, the the only other the wide receiver that comes to mind that I'm currently fading at cost. Uh, who is the guy that I was thinking about? Oh, um, it's unfortunately it it is jamar chase for me uh i i'd say that because i'm trying to i guess partially like kind of like dabble in taking him just because of the Bengals like fandom but at the same time it's like we know that the Bengals uh the their pass attempts is going to be top of the league most likely but yeah. for uh but for the the passing volume overall i mean we can definitely see a like a, a case where it's Jamar Chase kind of leading with a 24-25% target share. T. Higgins having maybe just a couple percentage points less than him. And then Tyler Boyd having a couple percentage points less than than them. It's pretty split, yeah. Yeah, fairly split. Yeah, But Jamar Chase is going a round and a half ahead of T. Higgins. T. Higgins is going two rounds ahead of Tyler Boyd. It's like their ADPs are so split. Yeah, Give me the cheaper guys at that point. Yeah, I'd agree. much rather have T. Higgins yeah. at cost than Jamar Chase. 100%. 
And yeah, I actually did that in my best ball league. I took I took him a few rounds later and was like, all right, same guy. Yeah. Uh, and I, he's a little, they, yeah, he's they, proven almost a little more at this point. Like, you know, you never know what you're going to get with these rookies. So like, I'm not taking yeah. him ahead of a guy who's already done it. Um, all right. So you've mentioned uh, some fades, AJ. Next yeah. question. So uh, <laughs> moving on, obviously, what are your great value picks? Uh, so my value picks, uh, at least for, for running backs at the earlier rounds, a guy that I've been finding myself taking, uh, taking quite a bit in the early rounds, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, right now falling towards like the back end of the second round, like even uh, about where we were talking about where JK Dobbins is getting drafted at. I don't care like what you think about his uh, rushing efficiency from last season. But if we look at the changes that they made to the offensive line, I mean, yeah. completely overhauled that. I mean, they get rid of Damian Williams in the off season. So at least we can think of his, uh, his like target started to bump up as well. I mean, if this is still going to be an efficient offense, I mean, top three, top five in terms of offensive points per uh, or offensive yards per drive, offensive points per drive. Mahomes still being like the quarterback one of the league. Give me Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at his like reduced cost, considering he was what, uh, what top six, top seven picks like last RB year. Six, seven last year was crazy. Yeah, yeah. and so now yeah. he's like RB twelve. I'll take that. You know, I'll take that discount in production farther. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that discount all day long. Yeah. And he, he was the the best call that I had the entire uh, draft, and Joe can tell you a little bit more about that one. Nope, we're moving on. Nailed uh, it. <laughs> any uh, any other value picks that you like? Um, like I think at wide receiver, I think I already mentioned him. Like T Higgins is a guy that yeah. I've been drafting. I've been trying to like draft yeah. as much as possible. I mean, from a targets perspective, like he hasn't relied on a volume like Tyler Boyd, like who primarily worked out of the slot. I mean, T Higgins was seeing more downfield targets during the earlier parts of the season. Now I know that since they switched from like Joe Burrow to Andy Dalton and like Ryan Finley for a time, I know that we can't really take a lot of that to stock, but just like seeing his dot fluctuate from, I think around like 13, 13.5 in the earlier parts of the season down to around like somewhere in between like 11 and 12, at least it shows that he's capable of being more than just like that, like deep threat and like running like the like post patterns or anything like that. He can be an intermediate route runner. So if he already has, if we're already seeing Jamar chase and he's going to come in and profile as the X receiver in that offense, like give me the guy that's going to be playing opposite him with like getting like similar volume to him as well. And going like, like I said earlier about a round and a half later. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I already said, I agreed. So uh, just, uh, just real quick, like, Besides those two that you've mentioned, who have been some of the guys that you have found yourself targeting and drafting the most? And I know Under the Gall breaks that down for us. I'm just kind of curious, like who are some guys you found on your teams more than any anybody? Um, I've been stubborn about Daryl Henderson. Okay. Uh, but I've been stubborn about him since he came into the league. I don't know, like Memphis backs. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, but uh, like Hendo, I've been drafting like quite a bit. Uh, like Darius Slayton, I've been grabbing like super late because I, I see I, that. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. He's like, like he's super late. He's dude, super I'm cheap. So why still, not? I'm still a Slayton believer, man. Kenny we got Gallag- the jersey to give away at the expo. I know. I you know. guys are going. <laughs> I, I know the whole like the Kenny Galladay trade. They drafted Tony and and all that stuff. They still got Shep Ingram. Like you know the, the whole like too many mouths to feed cliche. Like blah blah blah. 
But like Darius Slayton, he's a good player. Yeah, he's like, solid. He's a, he's a good player. So like for him to be completely f- like from an ADP perspective phased out of well, that. Shepard's offense, gonna get hurt half the year, so yeah. who knows with Galladay anymore? So right, and I, like I'm just <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering he fall into injury concern now. So exactly, yeah, I'm I'm just wondering why Slayton is the one that gets completely pressed out of that offense, and when we know that he could be a wide receiver one because we've seen him do it beforehand, I just. If a wide like if a potential wide receiver one is available in like the rounds like fifteen in a draft, I'm probably gonna take that guy. Like yeah. and again, that could just be me being stubborn, but I don't know. And then of course, like the last guy that I'll mention, this goes back to my Bengals love, but like Gio Bernard, uh, I I don't know about like Leonard Fournette. Like he got hot like towards the like towards the end of the regular mm-hmm. season into the playoffs. We never know like how long like Ronald Jones, like what that leash is between him and Bruce Arians. Like he could get yanked off the field for missing some sort of pass protection or anything like that. Dropping a pass, like Lord knows what's going to happen yeah. or how many games he'll miss if he fumbles. <laughs> you breathe wrong. Get off, yeah, the field. Like, get off the field. But like I can see like like Gio Bernard, yeah. like, he, like he's the cheapest of them. It's an ambiguous backfield because we don't know who's really going to lead the charge on a weekly basis. And we know that he can be both a runner between the tackles and he catches passes. And he's going to be catching passes from Tom Brady. Yeah, so yeah, he could be James White and more. Yeah, why not take him? Like, because yeah. he can actually like, run the ball him. too. Yeah, like James White yeah, he really yeah. could. actually has so. a skill set. Yeah. So yes, I'll take <laughs> that guy towards the back end of drafts. Yeah, all that's the time. not a bad. That's not a bad. Not a bad one there. Uh, I like that. So. All right, Chris, that is all we got, man. I, I really uh, want to thank you for coming on again. Great talk, great information. I hope everybody learned a lot. I know we did. Um, before you go, let everybody know where they can find you uh, uh, on the internet and all that good stuff, man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. All my writing, particularly during the off season, is over at four 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 because they allow me, they allow me to like like dive into the weeds and like gab for like two thousand words on stuff like FFPC win rates and like all that good stuff. <laughs> um, but I'll be getting back to uh, like over the next month or so. I'll be diving back into weather. So again, like the FFWX, the WX in my handle is for weather. Um, so I'm be diving back into some research uh, uh, for that, like in the next month or so. So you see some more articles regarding like weather and its impact on fantasy football for me here in the next like, couple of weeks. But other than that, you hate any of my takes, want to come draft with me an underdog, come hit me up. I'll start a draft yeah. anytime. Yeah, man. We'll be, I'll be throwing out some, some draft invites soon. So uh, you have to come kill me on those. <laughs> No, I'll make some dumb mistakes or something like that. Like I'll probably work. Yeah, like uh, I mean, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna take everything. I'm gonna take everything. Yeah, no kidding. I'm gonna take everything you said and kill you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Not gonna. I'll take. I'll take. I'll take Swift in the second round. (laughs) Yes. Jefferson, (laughs) round three. Exactly. All right, man. Uh, It was a good show, man. We will uh, definitely have you on again soon. Have a good night, man. Anytime. Thanks, sir. Have a good one. All right, AJ. Um, I think that's all we got. It was a great, great show. I always love having Chris on. So uh, yeah, I think we're just going to end it that way. Always and, great information and and good conversation. So yeah, absolutely. Cheers, everybody. We will be here next week with uh, AJ. You want to introduce the guest next week? My friend and yours from Sirius XM's Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Show. Alarm. Mr. Howard Bender. Hello. Hell yeah. We'll be here uh, Wednesday night, not this, Thursday. We're having to change some up here coming is, soon, but uh, it will be. He's a genius, and he is a uh, friend of the show, and um, yeah, very excited to have him back on next week. Uh, we will be talking the AFC East. Yep. Um, so yeah, tune in. It will be 
it will be fun. Um, I will, I will have to, I've, I've been doing my research recently <laughs> and, and listening even more so closely to his show. So I, I will have to, you have that long bring drive in, now. So bring in a few listening points. To the show a lot. I, I have, I have it's, been. It's yeah. a good, it's a good time, man. I enjoy it. I miss my drive to work it back. Cause I can't, wa- I can't listen to those shows as much. Yeah. Um, him and it, him it and Bowden are, are fantastic. They're funny, dude. Uh, I love it. You know, Hanson guru is out oh, yeah, there man. as well. And he's, yeah, he's absolutely. been on show been fantastic to listen to so check us out next week for sure cheers everyone and And uh, see you all next week peace